Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Finnerin's Wake. When we Americans go to the polls every year, or two or four, in the performance of our civic duty, by way of exercising our right of suffrage, we seldom do so uncomplainingly. In fact, it's often with an audible, unstifled sigh, or depending on the year, a full-throated guttural yawp, a frustration and discontent that we exit the modest little voting booth into which some nameless, dutiful, fanny-pack-wearing, vote-here, sticker-dispensing, volunteer poll worker has briskly conveyed us. No sooner do we emerge from this hallowed place of democracy, civic virtue, liberty, and self-governance, from which, as if an unspoken accord were agreed to by everyone present, all profane utterances and patriotic misgivings are strictly prohibited. Then we cry out, to the heavens above, or to whomever might care to hear, our list of political woes. Chief among them is the fact that our options— in a country of marvelous diversity and immeasurable talent, are pitifully binary. Republican or Democratic. That's it. That's all. These are the parties, for all intents and purposes, between whom you're allowed to choose, and against whom, for that very restrictive reason, you feel the natural impulse to bristle. Abstention is, of course, an option, albeit an inglorious, unsatisfying, and, I speak from experience, anticlimactic one. We are an expansive and a vigorous people, a restless, daring, and genius race, character traits by which we're made reflexively to squirm against two equally narrow, boring, and unappetizing choices. We chafe against the constraints of a system in which power has been centralized to an inordinate and unprecedented degree, and in which, for that and other reasons, the public faith is severely diminished. The hope for an alternative, for something youthful, energetic, Bold, creative, and new, for something audacious, brave, uncaptured by corruption, and responsive to the will and respectful of uh, the dignity of his fellow man, is not beyond the realm of possibility in a healthy and confident republic, which, if only for a little while longer, I think we persist in being. The Libertarian Party presents itself as just that alternative for which we all yearn. In this conversation, I'm joined by Hector Roos, a citizen candidate vying to unseat Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida's gubernatorial race. Hector is campaigning as a libertarian, the type of fresh, youthful, liberty-loving American whom we can all get behind. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Be sure to follow this channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel, leave a comment or a like, and most importantly, share with your friends.
And without further ado, I give you Hector Roos. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Finneran's Wake. I'm joined today by Hector Roos. Uh, Hector is a candidate representing the Libertarian Party in Florida's gubernatorial race. Hector, thank you for uh, agreeing to speak with me today. How are you? Yes, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for your invitation. Doing great. Of course. So I'd like to begin with a few general, timeless questions about which we human beings will forever be pondering and debating uh, before moving on to some state-specific questions in which Florida voters will be particularly interested. So my first question to you is, is government necessary? What is necessary is, uh, is what the Founding Fathers have said in this country, right? We, we, need, we need guardians to protect the life, liberty, and property. You know, notice that it's also interchangeable with, with the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that why is that important? Uh, because at the end of the day, the uh, we often have this, this situation where we cannot, uh, how do you say, uh, build up to the future. We can't save. You know, in order to build wealth, in other, in other words, you need time. You need time. You need a steady currencies. You need, a, you know, a pr protection for yourself and your property. Uh, and those guardians can look like uh, a lot of things. They can look like kings. They can look. They can look like uh, an, an, a homeowners association. Uh, they can. They can look like uh, you know what we have now, or something very. Or they can be uh, something a very si a simple uh, direct democracy. If uh, you live in another state, there are often these uh, these council meetings that involve you know everyone who lives in town is welcome to join and make and make a vote to uh, to uh, pass policy, right? So that's. Um, it's it's very it's really just that kind of straightforward approach uh, that people shouldn't how to say uh, mystify or have this you know under think that government is some type of mysterious power it doesn't exist outside of you and me talking and making arrangements for ourselves and for our futures. So do you think it's in the nature of humans to to gather into societies into political bodies? Well, that's that's the lesson of civilization. Uh, literally, uh, the reason why we're here is because people got together uh, and they made arrangements. Uh, they they obviously had enough time uh, to figure out technology development uh, to to grow uh, to be productive, and that is to say, uh, to grow crops, to build machines, uh, to in or in order to basically uh, take care of uh, of of all their needs, and so they can actually aspire to something different. Uh, eventually, we call that in, in, in history or sociology, it's, it's called uh, either diversification or specialization of, of skills. And then you can actually mobilize more complex societies that way. And the and we simply take it for granted that, you know, what uh, these days or what that actually means. But that is, um, and I, ho I hope that answers your question. No, it does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to know from the libertarian perspective exactly how you regard 
the necessity of government because I think sometimes people um, conflate libertarianism and maybe anarchism. So maybe you can speak to that distinction a little bit because I think oftentimes the image of a libertarian is that of someone who is completely boundless, completely lawless, completely almost in a libertine state, a, a pre-civilized state. So maybe you sure. can speak to that distinction a little bit. The distinction between libertarianism, the, the sort of the ideology of which you are a supporter, and anarchism, which is to say a state without law. Uh, so let's let's be. I'm going to make a practical response to this because I I could make an academic response, and I and I think people appreciate uh, this, and that is to say that people put up with any situation, uh, you know, it, it, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how uh, uh, disruptive it is to their lives, so long as it doesn't pass a certain line that uh, that, that is their bottom line, right? Which either prompts them to do something like move, uh, like vote with their feet and move to another somewhere else far away from that situation or to actually directly engage with the situation and change it. So that, that is the premise first, you know, the, the, now what we live in society today in regards to this idea of libertarianism or anarchism or uh, whatever ism is out there is, ism just means system, right? You know, the, the idea that uh, the libertarian party simply represents and particularly the modern libertarian party. And I'll get to that because the definition changes when, in, historical context, uh, especially applicability. The, the Libertarian Party stands for you making this, you basically making the decisions for yourself as much as possible uh, without having somebody else give you a limited set of decisions or, or options for you to follow. Uh, and usually the options, uh, the options can range from uh, this option A or you leave uh, to option A through D or you leave. And sometimes you don't even have the option to leave, uh, depending on the regime. So the uh, as, as as people were, may have remembered what happened two years ago with the lockdowns, you did not have an option to leave. So that's uh, you know, and you were stuck with one option: stay, stay home and figure it out for you know for yourself over the internet what you could do, right? Or through phone, or or through get another job that is so quote unquote essential. So uh, that's that's the practical purpose. Now there are some there are people who do confuse or confound libertarianism, uh, and that means that basically it's a it's a, a permissionless uh, society that that is the aim, or or more importantly, consent that we each each of us want to actually do business or interact with or freely associate with one another freely without coercion through consent. Uh, so that means that you know we have to buy and we have to choose to buy in every time. Uh, rather than be forced or obligated to that set of choices that are presented to us. So uh, that actually ends up looking sometimes, and that's why there's confusion between a libertine lifestyle, which is someone who simply is a uh, bucks the, the common trends in society for social behavior. And, uh, and they, the difference between that and a political movement, which simply says that we want people to be able to make decisions for themselves, how they live, how they do their business, with as little interference outside interference or coercion as possible uh I, I, and that that usually just sums it up right there i mean in the historical context you know anarchy anarchy uh, uh has has meant everything from you know uh in like for example we're talking about the before before the great wars before the big world wars anarchism was considered something that was uh, an, basically anti-royalist 
know, they, or they, they basically were, they, they simply wanted to reorganize society entirely away from the social norms or the structural norms, that is to say kings, right, or royalty or feudalism. Uh, and today, what does that mean? I mean, that means that, you know, the continued breakdown, they will continue to want to break down society in a good way. And all these things are, are good, uh, good, uh, good, um, good ideas, right? Today, what does that mean? That means we want to get away from state-controlled money, uh, that we'd want to get, that we want to have private money, right? Like uh, cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, uh, or we would, and we want uh, to be able to develop, um, you know, uh, safety, basically all these safety nets that people talk about, whether it's the banking sector, whether it's in education, whether it's in health, all those decisions be, be able to come come at it without a coercive structure to maintain it, which is like taxation, you know. So uh, people, you can see that the modern technology has already enabled a lot of those advents without having to rely on coercion or the or a, a monopoly on violence through the state. So uh, without saying, you know, without getting into more uh, into um, you know that, so you can see how the the, the application of the word anarchy changes. But uh, it definitely always comes uh, comes down to how complex and how far removed are the decisions again from uh, from uh, the person themselves. I hope that's clear enough. No, yes, very clear. And I, I appreciate you uh, speaking to these uh, very fundamental ideas and, and clarifying any misconceptions that people might have about uh, anarchy on the one side and and uh, libertarianism on the other. Uh, so you you did. Touch on a few subjects into which I I want to delve from uh, taxation to the pandemic uh, to um, individual rights. But before we do that, I just want to continue on just a little bit longer um, with your def definition of well of libertarianism and and just to make it absolutely clear for any listeners out there to whom this concept might be still a little bit unfamiliar. So just briefly, if you could, uh, maybe explain to us the difference between, oh, I don't know, the Republican Party, right? So the, 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 the traditional parties against which you are now vying. So the Republican Party on the one side and the Democratic Party. So tell us what distinguishes the Libertarian Party from these two ingrained and historical parties? Sure. I mean, at the, at the very most we have to understand that the united states uh behaves as is founded as a republic that means it's founded on the premise of the rule of law is is applied equally to everyone no matter what how much money you have how much influence you exercise uh, or in other words whatever station you are in life you know uh and the 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 parties themselves uh have have been just a collection of of, of groups that have uh, have, again, let's demystify the process. They're, they're simply groups that exist that call co that coalition together to to uh, uh, to support certain ideas and candidates uh, for uh, for office. Now, it ends up in the modern in, in today's modern sense uh, when you have the, the these two uh, these two parties basically acting as political monopolies, uh, where no one else is allowed to part is very. In other words, they're the ones who control everything, and, and there's very little participation for anyone else. Uh, they're, they're basically focused nowadays to uh, consolidate, uh, maintaining their uh, their power structure, right? Uh, and so, what we have today is something that devolves into a bit of an, uh, of an uh, oligarchy, where you have a, the rule of many, just not the rule of the people, right? So, in other words, special interests guide guide the decisions of political parties and the leadership. Uh, they certainly fund it, uh, and you know the the 
And so they're the vested power structure in society uh, that tries to influence everything from culture to uh, to our our basic behaviors uh, to the food we eat and to the you know the commercial options we we uh, you know, we we exercise in the market. Uh, they attempt to influence it that way and be able to essentially uh, guarantee profit, you know, guarantee their income. Uh, and in other words, and and it's at the end of the day, it's also it's um, because it's reactionary. In other words, it it responds in a in a uh, reactionary sense uh, against innovation. Uh, that is why people want, wonder why things haven't improved. Why they've improved in certain areas and they haven't improved in another, right? Or you know uh, the the basic sense of why has you know they've been talking about a cure for cancer for forty years, but why haven't we seen one out? You see one out, and you know Joe Biden just you know, who just mentioned it uh, a couple of days ago. So that's that's really where it comes down to a libertarian party doesn't exist within those within that framework. Although I will tell you that it was the the impetus, the one of the it was the leading voice for many years in in terms of um, uh, in terms of uh, issues like bodily autonomy. And what I mean by that particularly is is like is uh, uh, is like medical uh, marijuana or the idea that you can. Uh, you don't. You're not. Really, uh, you should be able to choose the healthcare of your choice, right? Not not simply state-oriented healthcare or or something that's mandated to you uh, through, for example, the American Medical Association, right? That you can actually have an, this relationship with a a uh, a healthcare provider, a doctor, a nurse, uh, some type of other proficient, uh, someone proficient in the healing arts, right? And um, this has always been a conversation that's existed for ever in society. Because there's always a there's always an interest by those in power to to try and preserve what they have uh, through uh, through regulatory schemes or what they call regulatory capture is the formal word. Uh, so, you know what? At the end of the day, that what does that mean? Uh, you know, the, the conclusion: Republicans and Democrats they really they 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 tend to focus their verbiage on, on or talking points on on different sets of uh, of uh, subject matters, but they actually end up behaving exactly the same way. Uh, because they essentially serve the interests in a in a sense of uh, patronage to those who pay the pay their bills, mm -hmm. and the Libertarian Party does not. We're you know we're not we're not in power. We don't have anything to to offer uh, those uh, moneyed interests. So it seems as though fundamentally the, the Libertarian Party is less beholden to what you might call those special interests or those oligarchic um, agenda items right to which both other both of the other parties seem to be so faithfully devoted uh, let me ask you uh, in regard to our founding uh, to uh, to the very origins of our republic do you think that libertarian ideas those that you just very briefly outlined things like oh freedom of choice and bodily autonomy and and the, the sanctity of the individual do you think those ideas are more consonant with uh, the ideals of our founding generation. Uh, so you're asking if the uh, Libertarian Party itself is more close in line to the founding fathers, right? To the I would say the ideals that you and your Libertarian brethren uh, promote, would you say that those ideals are more consonant and similar to uh, those of the founders? I, I would I would tend to think so, but let's let's put it in perspective uh, again that the context of the founding fathers and providing 
uh, the framework of the U.S. Constitution, the founding documents and Declaration of Independence, I mean, they they aspired to great things, but you know they they and they were innovative. In fact, they you know they're creating the first republic in thousands of years. You know that that's that's something to be said. Uh, you know, of course, we look at their print the, the principles of the founding, and we say we we are guided by the universal principles that are established there, right? That that people want that a free people want want to exercise that freedom. That we're born in freedom. We're not born in captivity. That we have a we, that we have a conscience. That we have a uh, a a this i this uh, uh, free will, right? Uh, and that ultimately. All, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, that all arrangements of of a government are are set up in order to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or or pro, uh, protect property, uh, and they're interchangeable. You know, be, in, in other words, because uh, they've always even the founders associated property to happiness. How much you know that you can accumulate your wealth and protect it and pass it on. So uh, that's that's really what it comes down to. Of course, you know the founding had a, you know the founders had some issues that they had to um, compromise on, right? Uh, slavery, uh, issues of of essentially of monetary policy, uh, because they were dealing with the what what they could work with at the time, right? They didn't, uh, you know, the gold is uh, they had established a gold standard, but then eventually it was undermined and went and almost immediately went to a, a central banking, right? Uh, within its first twenty years, uh, if not sooner. And then, uh, and so forth. And now we have paper, pure paper fiat money, uh, which is a uh, which is not a stable form uh, for uh, for, what, uh, for the development of wealth. Uh, so, does the United States even currently today reflect the principles and ideals of of uh, the founding fathers? You know, in some places, it still it still tries to, but in others, it still it certainly has fallen short. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. We we certainly have strayed quite far away. I think in many ways. Uh, from those those founding ideals, uh, you mentioned banking system at the very outset of the republic. I just finished reading all the collected uh, writings of Alexander Hamilton, and you see from the and someone to whom I would assume you're very hostile, because from the very outset, you know it was his his purpose, his his motivating purpose to establish the the national bank of of America, and uh, he did uh, by compromise. But I I love the fact that you highlight that there was so much compromise, and and we like to look back and imagine it was an age of absolute ideological purity. Uh, but from the very beginning, um, you know, you couldn't just you couldn't just pursue that which seemed pristine from an ideological point of view right there was there was so much that had to be debated and and uh, and like you said compromised to in order to to create what we have today um so speaking of what we have today i want to get into a few a few of the topics all right so i'm i'm glad you indulged me for a little while to talk more abstractly to talk a little bit more philosophically but now we'll get into some of the things with which we're contending right now and today. Now, I just recently visited your Twitter page, and you made it a, a startling announcement uh, about what you plan to do in regards to Governor DeSantis's latest either antic or or stunt or or political maneuver, whatever what have you call it, what whatever uh, in whatever terms you might frame it, to send. Uh, illegal aliens or illegal immigrants, however you call them, uh, up to Martha's Vineyard. So 
Maybe you can talk about that announcement a little bit. Sure. Uh, it's uh, it's sad to see that uh, we've had a governor who's who his sole mission for at least the last two years at this point has been to accumulate power uh, at the expense of Florida, Floridians. Uh, that has uh, not only through the suffering of, of through the pandemic and the lockdowns, but being one of the first governors who, who locked down any of their states uh, and one of the last ones to, to essentially end their uh, uh, their state of emergency. I mean, they, we basically were, uh, the, the emergency was lifted uh, about a week and a half before California formally reopened. And even today, we still have mandates in terms of mask mandates that were argued in schools, or vaccine mandates that are argued uh, or that are required in public health hospitals. So the there is a question, you know, and, and today the uh, now that we're in a recession, uh, that there is a question of of you know what has our government done about it, especially our state government. Uh, and why do I say that is because when we talk about inflation, we just see we some people like popularize popular like to talk talk about this in terms of um, raising the prices. And I'll get back to my announcement in a moment. Uh, We've seen a raise in prices in all sorts of areas in terms of our housing, electricity or gasoline, and, and food, right? You know, certainly if you go to a grocery store, you are paying a lot more. You're looking for ways to economize. So the you could, we are, and, and frankly, a lot of that has still has the, is, um, we have impacts from the state policies uh, that could be remedied, but we have a simply a uh, an absentee governor who, again, who has, simply launched himself into a national campaign uh, early for president uh, and that has essentially cost Floridians uh, their you know their quality of life and 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 allowed them cost of living to increase without any reaction from state government so uh, what I mean that specifically you have a uh, one of the biggest issues these days has been property insurance uh, property insurance that goes up so uh, there's been a, basically because of the increased cost of housing uh the insurance companies are having to uh essentially guarantee uh, homes that now cost more and they're just exiting the market now the private sector is, is exiting the market as quickly as they can uh and even the public option of citizen insurance is dropping policies they can no longer afford uh to to underwrite so that leaves that that leaves ever fewer options and more expensive options on the marketplace so someone who would be paying two thousand uh, dollars, you know, uh, a year would now suddenly be paying eight thousand dollars a year. And if you are in a relatively short, uh, you know, fixed income on a salary, particularly, you are going to feel that very severely. Uh, and a lot of people are feeling the pressure whether they can keep their home or not. And some people have it. So then you have obviously property taxes overall uh, are are essentially aligned to the value of the properties, whether they're Obviously, it's a it's a fan, it's a regressive and awful tax, a property tax. Uh, I would eliminate it as, uh, tomorrow if I could, and certainly as governor I would. And again, these are the problems that continue to to rise. Uh, Florida again has no comprehensive energy policy. It allows basically monopolies to dictate everything, uh, and unfortunately, that has led to you know they basic, uh, the the electric companies, the electric utilities, these monopolies made a big bet on on uh, on natural gas and when the Biden administration came in the price of gas of uh, the natural gas was um, that fuels you know the, the power plants uh that that gas is uh natural gas basically went up in, in cost and it went and it, obviously the bills went up for everybody 
anywhere from 200 to 400% in, in, in months. So somebody in, you know, Key West would, would be paying $200 and all of a sudden they're paying 800. Mm. You know, I, I've seen it too in my electricity bill. Uh, and even though it's not, it's not as severe, it's still doubled easily from, you know, from a, a year or two ago. So the, the latest publicity stunt. So we have, uh, if, if you haven't heard about it, the, the details are, are, are simply as follows. Uh, you, uh, the, the governor had taken a state policy uh, to transport what they called unauthorized aliens uh, to to give them uh, to pay for tickets for them to leave the state of Florida uh, or some kind of transportation. Just, just oh, it's just open, right? Just whatever tra- form of transportation they're wel- they're welcome to take, so they can go anywhere but st- but staying in Florida, obviously voluntarily. Uh, so he used the, this program to basically send a contractor over to Texas. He couldn't find any, uh, any takers in Florida. Basically, went to Texas, and this contractor, uh, from uh, as the, the accounts explain, were lured with the promises of housing, with jobs. Uh, they were given uh, food and clothing and uh, and cell phones and and other resources, and put on two different. And they collected two fifty people. Uh, on two planes, that means 25 passenger uh, private planes now. Uh, they spent up to $12,000 per person, and they flew them from Texas, wherever they were in Texas, uh, and landed them in the middle of the, of the night in uh, in uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard in, in Massachusetts, a very uh, well-to-do community. Uh, and that was somewhat, uh, you know, basically to make a political point that you know, this is what it looks like when uh, when immigrants land on your fr- uh, on your front lawn, so you should have some com- some you know you, you can have some uh, compassion or understanding what the uh, the border states are dealing with. Now, the the you know Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida for now at least, right? The he was not authorized under that state law to to have a, a establish a program to take uh, to take a. Uh, uh, people in Texas in an entirely another state and then move them to another state, right? The only authorization was take them from Florida and move them out, right? Uh, Even the governor of Texas and their government didn't know anything about what he was doing. So it wasn't like, uh, oh, do this for us and it's a favor, right? We're coordinating, right? You're doing this under our jurisdiction. So the, at the end of the day, what, uh, you know, my announcement is that I am, I'm bringing a lawsuit to the, uh, to the, to, uh, to the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, demanding that Mr. DeSantis explain himself under what authority does he have to continue this program, which he has sworn to continue to do. Uh, and the under the Florida Constitution, I have uh, the standing to bring this this lawsuit. And the Supreme Court usually will look at this case as a as a matter of public importance. That millions of dollars are being allocated, uh, and 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 precious time and resources are being, you know, mis uh, mis uh, spent by the governor. To focus on an issue that doesn't directly impact Floridians, so there and his hope. I mean, he explained it in a comp- conference uh, in, a, in a conference yesterday, a press conference that he, that allegedly he's he's only targeting people who say they want to eventually go to Florida, like that. That's going to make a make a difference. Like, but before we get, they come here, we're going to go get that right. Some some something averse to or close to like pre crime. The that the point is is that. You know the uh, the flights uh, are, are chartered in another state. 
uh, the state doesn't authorize didn't authorize a program to do that. And yet, on top of that, that they're they're, setting, they're set, purposely setting up flight flight paths to take these planes through back through Florida, refueling them there. By the way, they're smaller planes, so to get from Texas to like a Massachusetts over two thousand miles, you need to refuel at least two times, and they did that. So they would stop in Florida, which again is exactly not the not the point of the law, which says take them out of Florida, not bring them in. Uh, and then went, goes and delivers them, you know, for this publicity stunt and, so, and immediately takes credit for it when people are asking, well, who's responsible for this, right? You know, proudly, because this is the point he's trying to make. Now, you know, I, I firmly believe in limited government. Uh, this is not a limited government uh, governor, even though he, you know, he claims that, you know, he says he's a, uh, a conservative Republican uh, that uh, has served in the military and has sworn to uphold the constitution several times uh in, in his different capacities as either a member of congress a member of the military or as a governor so uh we're that's we're down to the the supreme court can take this question oblige the governor to to respond and then decide whether the governor exceeded their his authority or not and simply order him to stop yeah but the, the point is at this point is is like after two years of him actually acting under emergency authorities there's really no not been nothing to actually limit his behavior so he's just continued to live off of a publicity stunts uh, publicity stunt uh which of course floridians have to continue to pay for uh in in a time when many are wondering about their fi their financial futures i think it's unfair and I, and I think the lawsuit will provide some needed uh some needed pushback to the governor and certainly some pause uh and i think the question of of him using these kind of funds ultimately in the middle of an election uh should should be should be uh should be rejected i mean frankly i've, I've my my ideal is that i already told you earlier that you know he's obviously using immigrants who are fleeing from very very bad situations to to seek asylum in the united states uh and he's essentially abused these people many who don't even who, who don't speak english to for publicity stuff you know, it's, yeah. it's it's inhumane, honestly, and I'd originally called for his resignation. Yeah, I this is an this is an issue on which, um, uh, about which I'm a little bit uncertain. Certainly, one with which I'm uncomfortable. Um, it seems to me, in every way, morally disagreeable uh, to use fellow human beings in uh, as as means more than ends uh, it speaks to a to a deeper moral issue i think <laughs> like i, I follow uh, immanuel kant in this regard like you you need to have a a humane maxim and that's never to to use another human being as an as a mean right you should always be considered as an end politically i think <laughs> though this is uh, terrible to say it, it might be a, a masterful stroke if uh, if it makes some of these sanctuary cities and and towns uh, recognize some of the difficulty that uh, that sort of agenda that sort of an idea imposes upon others. Now I'm not saying I agree with it, but I think your explication of exactly what's happening is is needed right now because it really shed a lot of light on how exactly this came to be. Um, and whether or not this was really in the best interest of Floridians, or whether it was really just intended to um, advance the prestige of a of a 
politician who might be seeking higher office on a national stage. Um, you mentioned one thing uh, that I wanted to address. Um, and I'm lose. I lost it right now because there was a lot in that answer. Um, I want to go back very, very briefly. You spoke about Florida's approach to the pandemic. Now, I think your uh, explanation of how we responded, or or how the state government responded to it, is somewhat dissonant to that which we heard across the media. Now, of course, we know that there's a certain bias in the media. But I think a lot of listeners would hear your explanation of what happened during the pandemic and feel somewhat surprised. So maybe just very briefly, maybe you can comment on the fact that generally Florida was held as this either a bastion of freedom or a sort of a hellscape of libertinism where, uh, you know, uh, there were no rules and uh, masks were dismissed immediately and people were just debauched and in the bars and all sorts of things in in the summer of 2020. And, or, and don't forget, they're going to kill a lot of grandmas. Of course, this is where grandma goes to die in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, I mean, they do call it uh, what are the, the, the uh, doorstep to the graveyard, uh, but jokingly, and that was prior to the pandemic. So maybe you can just comment on that a little bit more. You don't have to go into any great depth, but how do you think um, this, the media misunderstood exactly how maybe authoritarian Florida was in its approach to the pandemic. Sure. Well, so the, the direct answer really is that the, the media knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, they they coordinate. Uh, we've seen them uh, coordinate the last uh, couple of years, particularly as it, it, it dealt with Donald Trump, you know, where they pushed a narrative that was absolutely false about Russian interference in, a, in, a, in the 2016 election, uh, or at least the interfere, at least the participation of Mr. Trump in the 20 with so a supposed Russian uh, conspiracy to uh, to change the outcome of the 2016 election. Now, the aftermath of that, we've seen them just simply browbeat and and drum and drumbeat the this uh, this this call to what ended up happening was. A, a two-time uh, impeachment, right? So the 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 and of course with the events that led up after that, the the reality is that the media picks winners and losers. They do. They 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 pick one and they ascend their star into the heavens through all the support and with all the impression and support that they can give them with just airtime, right? They did it for Donald Trump, thinking and literally it's been determined by WikiLeaks. Uh, with a leaks drop that the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC conspired with media, major media figures to elevate Donald Trump because they felt that he, they would have the best chance of electing Hillary with uh, through him, right? And lo and behold, they were all surprised to lose, right? Uh, to just prove how how odious the, the, their tactics and their candidate was to mo uh, to most Americans, or at least America enough Americans. Uh, and in this case, there's no different. The media has has chosen to ascend Ron DeSantis's star. Uh, they are trying to weigh the the balance and make him the the, the rising star in a conservative movement. Uh, and for the most part, his policies uh, have not differed any really from most Democrats. Uh, and so you're not going to have a lot of opposition from Democrats either. It's, it, it's very quiet on that side. They're 
in Florida. In fact, there's no opposition party because they simply agree with the policies of Florida. Florida has become the uh, one of the most pro-gun control states, or uh, the most pro-gun control state. Pardon me. Uh, that is uh, that is led by Republicans. Uh, you know, they they've also pro-tax and all these things that that ended up that end up being this issue. Uh, but back to DeSantis is the media and the media's treatment is that he can do no wrong. And even to the point that they're trying to change history and say, and, and stop him uh, and refuse to and continue to repeat this idea after that the Sanders actually never even locked down Florida, which is not true whatsoever. Mm. And as I explained before, he had, you know, he had declared emergency uh, in the state of Florida over, over the COVID pandemic uh, for 475 days. I still felt even to, through this year. Now, what exactly happened is that, yes, there was a lockdown. It was one of the first governors to lock down their state. Uh, he kept the state clo closed 100% for 30 days. Uh, the first actual state that opened up was Georgia. And what subsequently happened after that, it was even with that, you know, uh, the status ordered state troopers on the, on the border to Georgia to prevent people from coming, you know, he, he says, quote, tongue-in-cheek to prevent New Yorkers from coming into Florida, but basically it was everybody. And then, uh, but generally, eventually there was a, a scheduled reopening. It was a different phases. But the phase wasn't uh, wasn't simply uh, on, a, on a timeline. It was also geographic. So what ended up happening is that eventually you had phases of reopening, uh, and, but the, the, the big cities really weren't affected. So most population of Florida actually had to deal with some type of continued lockdown curfews or or restrictions on daily, uh, daily living, even though the many, many other parts of Florida uh, acted like they had none whatsoever. Uh, and that's important to note because you know, that is, it's a political decision that was made. And so who who are the Democrats are going to, uh, uh, are going to dispute that or argue against that and make noise about it because they approve, right? They, they would want that emergency to have gone as long as, as, as uh, he want, as possible. And the motivation obviously was political. Uh, you know, DeSantis, the, the big story, the long story of DeSantis is that he only, he was a nobody congressman from, from Northeast Florida. You know, uh, he eventually, he made his claim to fame as being, uh, as serving as uh, as some type of JAG uh, embedded uh, officer with uh, in Iraq with a, unit, a forward unit and then served time in a Guantanamo, uh, you know, in basically working with prisoners in their torture camp that they have there. So yeah, that's that's all he was known for. Basically, a new conservative, someone who would who would bat the, uh, who would uh, support whatever was told to him by the military-industrial complex, and and for you know the foreign policy uh, war hawks, in other words. Now, now fast forward a little bit. Donald Trump comes in, tap he's tapped by whoever, and his name is whispered into ear. Donald Trump. Donald Trump endorses him for in a Republican primary, while he's a sitting president. Uh, for uh, for governor of Florida, he he wins by a landslide that primary, and ekes out a, a victory against a a younger uh, uh, Democrat candidate, Andrew Gillum. Uh, he won, the difference being about thirty eight thousand votes. So the at the so we fast forward to now is is that that Ron Sanders wasn't any popular. Can you not hear me? Just 
I can now. Yeah, okay. you you cut out just momentarily. Yeah. So, just to re repeat. So the the sand is mm -hmm. by prolonging the emergency, you could continue to receive essentially unlimited dollars from from the bailouts from from Washington, and he under the emergency structure, he was a sole uh, he was a sole authority to disperse those funds and establish a statewide uh, uh, system of of graft or or political patronage, right? So, you know, it, all over the place. So he made his friends very, very wealthy and was able to use that as the base to establish a, a, a political uh, machine that he did not have whatsoever before that. Now, uh, understand then he adopted, the media basically adopted him as well and elevated his profile saying that, oh, he's resisting, uh, you know, he's, he's anti-science, he's resisting this or that. I mean, and to a certain, uh, to a certain effect, it's, it's half true, right? He resisted. Uh, further lockdowns. He resisted uh, the, the the way that you know the CDC was broadcasting on ma uh, mask mandates, for instance. But the, the but the argument that the Sanders was bringing wasn't that the lockdowns were bad. He said that the science that the CDC was presenting was bad, and so he he couldn't continue lock he couldn't continue to justify the lockdown. But he did support the idea of lockdown, just not for that reason. So. Mm -hmm. This is not a, this is not someone who, who obviously who's not a libertarian, but but actually it's, that's important to note too because the the media has actually tried to trumpet uh, DeSantis as some type of libertarian messiah figure, which is far, couldn't be further from the truth, uh, especially considering everything I just uh, I've just been discussing. Now uh, I mean go into I mean after the four hundred something days was about June of last year. You know the what happens after that is the, the the school districts continue to have their mandates on on, on masking. They're continuing to push for uh, for you know uh, for voluntary back uh, vaccinations, which which you couldn't tell the difference between the vaccinate the voluntary vaccination program and the mandatory vaccination program. And many many people you know got the vac the vaccine, uh, and you were still obligated and even to now to to take the vax if you want uh, access to certain healthcare. Now. You know, in the middle of all that, you have you have a, a riot uh, from from parents uh, in red counties and and not even red counties, actually pretty much everywhere, demanding to unmask the kids at these school boards. They, there was a, a statewide campaign that uh, to basically unseat school board members where they could, and a lot of them were one election this this previous August, but not before last November. The 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 Department of Justice, I mean Biden's Department of Justice. Uh, you know, released the memo calling all these angry parents all over Florida as domestic terrorists. And you know what? The Sanders didn't really say anything. So why? Because you, you, we're dealing with a, uh, again, when it comes back to the question about the differences between political parties, you're dealing with a, 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 a group that basically does, does conspire together to maintain power. Uh, and they receive money from the same sources for the most part. And uh, they're, sometimes they're hedge funds in New York. Sometimes they're cons conservative billionaires out of out of Nevada or or some other place in Florida. I mean, the the reality is that you know the decisions um, that the elections themselves are not ended up end up deciding anything. It's really this um, who can capture the hearts and minds or the culture of the moment, right, to justify or to receive support for their uh, political policy. It, it it takes a lot of effort to, dis to to disrupt that because once people feel like this is justifiable, then it's very difficult to go back. And I will, you know, the the famous uh, underpinning to this kind of thought is that don't forget Hitler was elected 
uh, was elected to the power in that same way and subsequently so so this is um and that you know it's not a direct inference of, of the sanders as as hitler i'm just saying he does act like a king but he hasn't killed as many people right? yeah so that's yeah that's far, what it comes down to yeah far fewer i will i will caution you always be careful with the argumentum ad hitlerum anytime hitler yeah. is introduced into the argument you know the rest um right just to say yeah. the political processes produce a, a a lot of creatures of a lot of despots yes and i think we we would all agree with that uh, you mentioned president trump a former president trump in the, in in your last comment uh, now of course as we all know i think permanently now he is a fellow resident of the state of florida of which you would like to be governor so my question to you is um in your attempt to gain his suffrage to get his vote how would you reach out to a voter like like him like president trump well, the people listen there's there's much division in the democrat party as there are in the republican party and but the, the agreement between the parties is really in their leadership so the at the grassroots level at the average member of these of the republican party for instance uh, there is a division about whether they should support Donald Trump for another term and put him back in the White House to just give it give it back to the establishment versus, oh, we want a younger, uh, better talking, better looking, younger Trump figure in DeSantis. So they, they do have that difference. I, I would point out right now that uh, as far as I understand, President or former President Donald Trump has not endorsed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for re-election, just to point that out. So the So the endorsement is open from the former president technically i suppose that that'd be true i i, I wouldn't accept it you know in, in, in considering <laughs> so you could see you, where i'm a, you could see where i'm going with this we, right. we perhaps well, can get an announcement on truth social uh advocating and, and endorsing everyone uh, to go out and vote for Roos this november but you wouldn't accept that endorsement you would reject it i would i would not accept it i would not i would not publicly accept it i don't have to reject it if I don't accept it, you know. So it's just one of those things that that people know what's going on and that people have you know caught wind that there is, you know, really what happened was last year uh, when people were you know talking about people were really putting pressure on Ron DeSantis to not run or to openly commit to not running for president. Clearly, at this point, you know, a couple a, a few months before the election, they you know he went full blast all summer long. He's been he's been traveling the entire state, the entire country, but and the state for that matter, uh, campaigning nationally, endorsing up, uh, in other states, making speeches. Uh, he's clearly running a national campaign. So you think it's a, a fait accompli? You think it's inevitable that yeah. he will run in two thousand and twenty-four? Even if he loses, he he's going to run. That's yeah, how and... that's how committed he is to the process, and he's built himself a, a team and a fundraising structure that he did not have before. Uh, he would be foolish to not run in fact i mean if beto o'rourke can run multiple times for president because and and for governor of texas or statewide office in texas without and for senate, because and for, he, and for senate as well yes that's a statewide office right so if he can continue to do that he because he has a fundraising base why why can't uh ron DeSantis be the better O'Rourke of of uh the republican party yeah i suppose the he, he possibly could be although he are he has a more i would say auspicious future ahead of him than than uh, our our dearly uh, beloved beto 
Um, but no, that's that's an interesting comparison that you draw, uh, linking the two. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I would I would ask you: Do you think that not to focus on on Donald Trump for too long? But uh, so, do you think his political future remains fruitful, or or do you think he's he's overripe? Do you think his time has passed? Well, you, let's just say you can't do any worse than Joe Biden. Well, yeah, even grand. Democrats will even some Democrats will agree at this point. Yeah, I th I think the more candid of uh, of that bunch would agree. Um, tell me uh, between the two parties, because it seems as though you feel as though there is uh, some sort of conspiratorial action going on between the two, and and to a certain extent, I tend to agree. Uh, which do you think is more um, eager to protect liberty, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? Neither. I mean, it's very obvious. They've, they conspired to lock down the country. They conspired into a uh, to give uh, to develop. You know what they not what we're not calling is these uh, uh, these dangerous uh, diseases overseas that then you know then then contaminate the world. Right. That's really the arguments that they've been making, and there's no one held accountable. Why is that? Because they're in on it. Yeah. I, oh, I I understand what you're saying. Um, In other me... words, they're responsible. They're responsible for the the policies, and they're responsible for the cover up, so that no one is held accountable. In the same way, in the same way that they're all guilty of having worked with um, uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, but none of them are going to jail either. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, so this. Uh, this brings me to to a, again maybe a more general idea and that's the idea of liberty uh, you say that neither of the two parties neither the democratic nor the republican is particularly interested in protecting and enhancing liberties um, what do you say to the to a population to a to a country founded upon the ideal of liberty that seems to have that spark, that flame, seems to have seen that spark or flame extinguished in some way. This is one of the things on which I was reflecting during the course of the pandemic and for the years um, after it, or at least the year after it. Uh, I, th I thought about the quote from Patrick Henry, the famous quote that he, uh, with which he ended his speech at St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And he said famously, give me liberty or give me death, right? We all, especially libertarians, we all relish that quote because it speaks to something sort of inborn in the American spirit. But I fear that today, his quote, his immortal quote would be inverted to read something like, give me security, give me um, an assurance that I don't have to think about the possibility of death, of my own mortality, um, and I'll resign all of my liberty. I'll relinquish it straight away. Now, I know this isn't exactly an agenda item on which you're running. Uh, it's more of a, it's a broader idea, it's a broader thought, but it's one with which I've been contending for the past year or two. Uh, so maybe you can speak to that idea. And again, just to narrow it a little bit, it's the idea that as a people, as an American people, that 
flame of liberty that we all thought was deeply embedded in our souls and was inextinguishable might might be flickering a little bit and might be going out. What do you say to that? Sure. These days, it, so it sounds like for most people, uh, you know, just who are distracted with uh, with TV, you know, the live streaming programs, uh, or or simply are under too much stress from from debt and bills and the the, the problems of life to really care about the, the government around them. Uh, it's no it's no wonder that you know half half of all voting age adults in Florida aren't even registered to vote, you know, and half of them are expected, uh, the half of the rest of them are expected to, only half of them are expected to come out and actually vote in this election. It's easy to lose hope uh, because of, of uh, you know, the inertia of it, the very, the very culture you look at, you wonder, you know, th is this it, right? You know, and so I wanted to, uh, I, I beg to, to, uh, to counter, you know, what my campaign is about is actually, uh, is reaching out to the people who do still care, right? Uh, government, at the end of the day, is uh, no matter what, it is uh, a gov. We always have a government by the consent of the governed, and the go consent withdrawn by even a small number of people, you know, five to fifteen percent, is more than sufficient to essentially disable uh, any government policy anywhere. So, do I? I, I think people forget. That you know, we, they put, they highlight too much, uh, too much responsibility on the democratic model, or or simply elections to change things, when really it's always been a smaller group of people who have, uh, who are simply motivated enough uh, to actively uh, dis uh, display their disagreement, uh, or or even their 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 disobedience to a to a policy. You know, obviously the the uh, lockdowns ended sooner or later, and they were sooner because people just refused. You know, at, at such a point, you know, when you make such huge claims the way that government did over two years, you you recognize that they put like they put their reputation online, that the, the scientists knew what they were doing, that the politicians could be trusted, that you know these these the the, the key understandings that GERD any any political decision of that magnitude at some point when it doesn't uh when it isn't as serious as they made it out to be mm -hmm. confidence in their leadership is going to un be undermined people are going to become radicalized the idea that why are we even dealing with this kind of political class and this political structure that is unaccountable uh that is inflexible and that only serves its own interests you know, so my campaign is really about either is about providing people a contrast and an option where they can simply express their disapproval of both parties. I'm the only candidate that's on the ballot that represents a po political party that is not a Democrat or a Republican, after all. And the, the, the fact of the matter is those who are awake and looking for solutions and answers to what is happening, and find a home in the Libertarian Party and find a home with people who, like them, disagree with the policies and, and dicta of the, the two parties and their leadership and their special interests. And we can see that, that 
and society, all political change at the end of the day is, is simply the, the effect of a change in culture that causes the actual change. So that is, uh, which is again, something that's simply reflected by people who care enough to make, make it a, a to motivate the rest of society to, to take action. Yes, and I think um, in many instances, people fail to recognize that there is a third way, that there could be an alternative to what has become uh, a thoroughly frustrating and, and in many ways decrepit um, institution that is our national politics and, and state politics as well. Uh, so thank you for that answer. I think that was that was very well said. Uh, I want to touch on a few more uh, specific topics. Uh, the first being uh, the issue of abortion. Sure. So I'll ask you, if as governor, a bill were brought before your desk restricting abortion to the first six weeks of gestation, would you veto or sign it? I do not see a, I do not see a bill like that coming up in Florida uh, where we have one in, that's being this disputed in the courts for a 15-week ban. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I chose one that was more restrictive, reflective of what is right. being proposed Understood. in Texas. I, I, would, I, would, I would not sign that. If, if it came down to it, I would make it an effort to, to make sure a bill like that wouldn't even reach my, my desk. Uh, but if necessary, I would be to it. Now uh, the re there's two reasons. There's two reasons why. Uh, one is that uh, at at to enforce these bans, one would need to um, like any prohibition. One would need to set up a police state in order around it. The idea, uh, and actually, in this case, not simply a police state, but a surveillance state to monitor whether someone actually is pregnant, in order to enforce the, the law. The law, and then you would need a police state to enforce it. So it, what happens in other states right now in the current you know, in the current climate after the Roe versus Wade reversal by the Florida by the U.S. Supreme Court is that you have uh, law enforcement agencies that are monitoring social media posts and using uh, and using them to to create a probable cause to then investigate whether someone got an abortion or is trying to seek one and then prosecute them. So this has not happened in Florida, but it has happened in like Alabama, mm. right? So the and and this type of tyranny is, see, in order, the, re, the reason is that you have to basically do uh, the harm test. Does this do more harm than good? And it's very basic. And this is, that's a very conservative approach, right? So it, we're talking about issues that, um, that fundamentally transform the relationship between government and, and the governed. So who's in charge? Right? Um, in Florida, the, 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 the government has, a, has made arrangements to establish legal precedent to force uh, women to have to carry uh, pregnancies to term. Now, you know, I, you know, I, but I have to say this: I'm personally pro-life. You know, I and I and I know people. Uh, I'm personally pro-life. I think life is sacred. I, I understand that people uh, don't all don't have the same opinion as, as me. Uh, and I want everybody to understand that that uh, uh, that seventy percent, if not. Of, more than seventy percent of all abortions are elective. They are based. They are. Uh, they are committed. Actually, more than that. But the seventy percent are committed only because of financial stress. They can't. They people feel they cannot simply afford to carry the baby to the the, the pregnancy the baby to term. You know, and and that's 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 sad. But the reality is that before the recent decision over the summer uh, to reverse Roe versus Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court, 
abortions were at an all-time low. And why? Because people were choosing either to not have, not be pregnant, they were choosing to, in other, in other ways, right, that didn't deal with uh, abortion. Uh, they were uh, like celibacy or they're practicing with, with uh, other, whatever, safe sex uh, or, mods. Or, or social isolation as a consequence of the COVID lockdowns. C certainly. And actually, I, I would more say that the the there there simply is a lot more younger people who are living socially isolated to begin with. Like in other words, because of the internet, because of lifestyle choices, they you know there's um you know, they they simply have been not had more physical interaction with people. They've just had less of it. So perhaps that that social isolation. I agree. I think that pre-exists the the pandemic. Yeah. But I think perhaps it was exacerbated by the pandemic. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. I I'd also want to say one other thing is that um, you, you do understand, and I've said this in other interviews, that the, the times have changed. People also do not look down on uh, teen pregnancy anymore. It's not a social, you're not made a social, social pariah. It's not a uh, look at look at this person, right? Uh, so it's become, it's, it's, it's become more social accepted. Is what I'm saying. Social norms have changed in that regards, and that's also one of the other types of of uh, reasons why people uh, would seek an abortion. Now, and and this being that there's so much more public funding of abortions than ever before, you th you think that people would be having them like eating Tic Tacs, but they they haven't, right? But again, the prohibition that states are seeking now is is drawing new battle lines and encouraging people to simply rebel and and have more of them. So it's on the uptick again. Uh, and that's you know, and that's really the consequence of, of or the moral hazard of public policy in that in that sense. So I answered the question. I, I went through the, the abortion issue. There is there is no consensus, clear consensus in the in the Libertarian Party in regards to. I would m mention that with within as a as a party itself in regards to abortion. Uh, why? Because some people do take it very uh, as seriously that it is um, uh, that that life is sacred. And they 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 will to the extent that if we're government does want to prove uh, that it's defensive life right life liberty pursuit of happiness the scenario that government should be involved and they make that as an isolated choice not as a uh, not as a, uh, a general broad brushstroke right um, so I I I simply disagree that that is necessarily the case because ultimately you know you still have to you know to what extent do you use force to oblige someone else to uh, to not end life, right? You basically, to what extent? It's, violence is essentially the power to take their lives at the end of the day or to hold them against their will and otherwise violate the meaning that we have this life for, right? Free will. So, uh, and of course, at the end of the day, do I really want to, you know, use my uh, tax dollars to, to the, uh, do I want my tax dollars to go towards the initiation of violence? Uh, no. Yeah, and, and wonderfully said. And you anticipated my my next question, which was to to know the libertarian defense, let's say, of uh, the unborn child. I, I think in the libertarian circle, it's uh, it's sort of a fraught issue. It's a fraught debate because it really can be argued from the you know the bodily autonomy of the the woman who's in her gestational phase, and that of the unborn child who is some would claim just as deserving of life, liberty, and well, the pursuit of happiness. And that pursuit of happiness is certainly stifled 
before it can uh, get underway if uh, certain procedures are are adopted. So, no, thank you for your candor um, regarding that issue because I know it can be sensitive, and I'm sure you've been asked it before. So it's it's a well uh, well considered opinion um, for which I thank you. Right, I would basically help anybody who I could that was in a unplanned pregnancy carry the baby, the child to term, the baby to term. Mm -hmm. That, but that's a decision of mine, right? Not right. a decision that I want to, I, I want, I want to compel others to make. Uh, and frankly, my uh, my running mate, uh, the lieutenant governor running mate, uh, uh, Todd uh, he's he would say uh, that you know the, the the government has to, or the church or people who are religious, because a lot oftentimes it's tied to religious uh, belief. Uh, that people of religion, of faith, particularly Christians, uh, as he's a Christian pastor, uh, have to stop using the state to compel them to be good Christians, right? Mm. To get away from that model, uh, and it's still something that's debated. So that's why it's that's why there's no uh, there's no single uh, platform position on uh, on abortion in the Libertarian Party. Yeah, and perhaps although, although some state affiliates are welcome to have their own, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, uh, but Florida doesn't have, have one either. Yeah, so. uh, perhaps it's it's healthier for a party to to approach something that way. Maybe not, but I like the idea of an ongoing uh, debate, of an open question uh, that needs resolution at some point. But I think once you become ideologically captured, as uh, to some extent both parties have been, both both traditional parties, uh, you 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 lose that the essence of the question and you just become stuck and you're not you're no longer weighing new evidence you're no longer reading more uh, philosophical works to learn okay what did you know what was the the proposition of of um you know john locke how might he approach this idea or how might you know david hume uh, any philosopher you you become i think too ossified in one opinion so I think that's well put, and I think also your fear of an enlargement of the police power is also one of which we should be acutely aware, and, and you speak to that uh, very, I would say, very providently. The idea that in order to police or to, to um, ensure that women and medical providers are adhering to these uh, prohibitions, that necessarily will require an enlargement of a police force. Uh, and right. and I think at the essence of libertarianism in some ways is an aversion to such an enlargement, to such an expansion sure. of centralized police force and the surveillance state in which unfortunately we are all uh, living, <laughs> be it in Florida or uh, America writ large, as is evidenced by sure. FBI raids and certain state actions whether it be here or across the nation. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it, it may serve as a good uh, as a good demonstration or explanation that the story behind the two different cases that I, I mentioned. Uh, one is the the lawsuit against the 15-day uh, the abortion ban in Florida. Uh, it's currently stayed pending more uh, uh, more court proceedings. Mm. Uh, but that that case was brought forward by a Jewish woman with, with, the, with the approval of her rabbi. Uh, because uh, because in the Jewish faith they believe that that they um, that if the if there's a problem with the pregnancy they can they should terminate it right uh, in in other words they are much more uh, aware and vigilant in regarding to uh, regarding to um, let's just say developmental or abnormalities 
uh, than uh, than other religions, and that as an in other words, the ban actually prevents them from expressing the entire faith. That it's oppressive on the on on them. Of course, with our science, with our science now, you, you we there's still things that could happen uh, that they're detected before the 13 month and afterwards, right? That that would still have to be waited. They they, they also argued that the the 15 weeks is too is too soon uh, to um, to put the ban. Uh, to, uh, in a, uh, sorry, it's too it's too late to put the ban, hmm. uh, for that matter. Uh, and the other case was, oh, I mentioned was regarding uh, the forced uh, the the forcing of of uh, of a woman to to actually have uh, have their pre maintain their pregnancy during the term, which was a, a a woman who is 16 years old. She is a ward of the state. That means she has a uh, she has a care uh, a caseworker. She lives in the foster care system, and she has a a guardian at litem. And they decide, and she ran away. She, she, you know, obviously had some she mental disturbance, disturbance, and she got pregnant, and and she wanted to have an abortion, and they and they decided to take it to court to decide to have a panel decide whether she could or not. Uh, now, of course, the the reality is that you 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 couldn't have the abortion without the the uh, without a at that age without a a guardian to approve it. So that basically meant that they didn't want to do it and they want to take it. They, they didn't want to simply decline it. They want to actually make a legal case out of it and have a three panel judge decide for her. They went all the way up to appeals court to basically set a precedent that uh, that if the state does have the right to tell a ward, uh, someone that they cannot have, they must have the, they must have maintained the pregnancy during the term. So that's that's really what we're living in Florida. Uh, I think it, it, during COVID, uh, I'll, I'll close out with this this topic with COVID. People who declined to to go on a respirator, who declined to go on experimental uh, drugs to treat or or experimental regimens to treat uh, the onset of co of uh, COVID respiratory uh, illness. Uh, there was one extreme case of a of a teacher in West Palm Beach County whose doctor wanted to try out. Uh, other uh, other drugs that had better effects that had that had been demonstrated to have better effects that were not as toxic, mm. uh, and the the hospital would not release this woman into the care of her physician, uh, and would not even let her go uh, on on her own recognizance to release her to her family. They basically kept her trapped there, and and while she refused treatment, they had to take it to court, but they uh, and they eventually won, but she passed away before she could get treatment that she had wanted with the consultation of her doctor. So this idea of bodily autonomy actually more like more or less looks like that, being forced into or obligated or having your decision of your health be made by somebody against your will. Uh, and that, you know, it's a it's an entire school of thought that it's relative, uh, it's important simply because we have, you know, we, we deal with the, we, we've dealt with it in the last two years. Uh, I myself have had family members who have passed away from what I think were, you know, obviously heart uh, conditions regarding the circulatory issues related to them having taken uh, taken experimental, uh, experimentally or emergency authorized uh, vaccination protocols, um, and that that's really where we're at, right? That's really where we're at. So, um, yeah, you know, we do have to. I think we have to resist. I think the moment now is to resist these questions about forced medical procedures done to you. Or obliged to you with no other options, uh, and certainly more that you need to have more op opportunities and more and more opinions. Frankly, uh, being allowed is something that we need to fight for.
I think this is the moment now to, to draw that line. That's that's the hill to die on. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, my fear is that we've kind of, as a, as a people, kind of sunk into this supine spinelessness and and no longer have that vigor and fight. I hope that we are able to restore it. Uh, I think that a, a candidacy like yours uh, is actually beneficial in that regard. Um, I think that hearing these ideas of, of liberty, of autonomy, of, of rights, of freedom, uh, inspire people, uh, especially after a long duration of of oppression and and dictates and mandates and um, interdictions on what you could or could not do, where you could or could not go, with whom you could spend an afternoon and where you could do it. Uh, so I think the libertarianism and, and the agenda on which you're running has a refreshing quality to it. Um, I think for that reason, it will only it will only increase in popularity. And I, I I see you being uh, at the head of that at at the head of that kind of vanguard movement. Well, I I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, I, let me share something. We we've come a long way from even when our parents' generations uh, uh, came from when they thought things like abortion were supposed to be, you know, rare and and emergencies, right? Mm. Uh, to the point where Florida passed a 15-day ban on abortions with no exceptions to to rape or incest now a woman being raped they're going to oblige a woman being raped to carry the baby of of their attacker i mean that doesn't doesn't make sense to me you know but other people want to uh, want to oblige it because of of their religious belief i still think that's in imposition of someone else's religious belief on that person on an, another person so th this is you know, and and it's all, but it's all masqueraded at the end of the day. Anyway, it's all masqueraded because at the end of the day, it's whatever justification to increase a, a politician's power and authority. You know, to make the position more powerful uh, is the is the and without actually having to accomplish any meritous uh, policy changes. Uh, look at that, right? Without being re rewarded for political courage or or to or, or to tackle an issue that had been actually uh, that had that's disrupting the lives. Of Floridians or any or anybody really, uh, but that that's literally where, where we're at. You know, they're using these these kind of uh, these uh, the these debates, uh, which are really endless, right? To can constantly distract the people from what's important, which is their lives. Really, their lives, their everyday lives, their the function. They, 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 every, people cannot take for granted. You know, that gas will always be plentiful and readily available. That food will remain inexpensive. Uh, the housing, the housing is uh, that they'll be able to access housing uh, for themselves and a growing family, you know, that or they can even afford to have a family for that, for that matter. Mm -hmm. You can never hope to have one. So, I mean, people know that these things have been taken taken for granted, and now they're looking back and saying, you know, what do I do about it? And libertarians have answers to these things. The, the Republicans and Democrats are really going to just sell, continue to sell people a story about how it's somebody else's fault. You know, and, and that we need to ha draw out these debates for more years. You know, forty. I mean, they they ended Roe versus Wade. The decision they reversed it fifty years after the fact. I mean, if there you pull out something that 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 people's lives that and lives and and legal structures all all sorts of legal structures are developed around. Uh, it's going to be d disruptive to 
or up to create more political disruption, more uh, more controversy and more conflict between people, not between people and politicians, but just between people. Right, uh, and and of yeah. course, of course, that is something uh, that the court takes into consideration anytime ruling on a on a on an. Uh, on a difficult issue with some long standing, right? It's the idea that society has so Im, um, embraced this decision that it now becomes so entangled in our lives that it would be severely detrimental to unravel it. Unless, in the case of uh, of Roe and Casey, it is so overtly unconstitutional, which, uh, by any good legal reasoning, it does seem to be or seems to have been. Um, but I'm no constitutional scholar. I'm speaking completely. It could be argued. It could always be argued in either way, uh, and for the, for the same reasons that it could be argued uh, the the value of life, right? The the prominence of of the role of government in life, uh, although some of it may have an underpinning in religion. Uh, the the question the question though was, you you already have 50 years later, and you know was it worth it? Was it was it worth it to uh, you know basically disrupt the entire legal landscape? Uh, and and cause conflict among people at a time when abortions were de in decline. Uh, right. I don't think it was a good idea. And that, that, that then you would have to put forth, and we don't have to get into this too deeply, but given that reasoning, you would have to say that a case like Dred Scott versus Sanford should not have been reversed because that also had longstanding, probably about a half century's time, um, was part of the American fabric at that age, unfortunately, uh, but it was overturned in Brown. So uh, I, I, I get what you're saying, I do, but I think that the the constitutionality uh, has to take precedence over the temporality, sure. over the amount of time that it that it is in existence in a society. And that's a great, and that's, and that is a great argument because I, I, I think the one argument that, that, that you say that you're saying is the number one reason why I'm, I went, eh, I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad it, it did because it it still provides us a mechanism to de decentralize these conversations. However, I know how it'll be used politically. Yes, yes, and as a, yeah, and you're looking at it from both ends, which is exactly the way you should. Uh, the first response, the impulse that I had was, was be, beyond the morality or the immorality of abortion, I looked at it as a constitutional matter, and it seemed to me um, proper to to return this issue to the states, just based on its its absence, yeah. its lack. It goes unmentioned. It's unstated right. in the constitution, right? So, so it's from a, from the perspective of liberty, you would think yes, decentralize that issue, federalize it, bring it back to the states. But then the secondary impact is the one that you explained: is okay. Well, then. Uh, the enlargement of the police power, right? The intrusion into people's lives that is a repercussion of now what the right. state will do and they will enact their own laws and after enactment is enforcement. You, so, can, you, can, you can consider consider my concern that a lot of people simply bent over backwards to appease, uh, to appease political leaders uh, to lock themselves in their homes, to essentially destitute themselves because they don't work in, a non -essential, in an essential job, Mm -hmm. uh, and to allow this expansion of power without check, right? And then all of a sudden, you're going to give those same people more power through this through that poor decision. I mean, that that's really where it comes down to. Uh, to in in a sense, I'm concerned about the social fabric of America as well. Just another thing to divide people. You know, when it was uh, federalized, 
and I mean federalized, meaning that it was something that, that was one standard for the entire country. At least the country itself could experience one standard to argue against. But now we have 50 standards, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So and, and 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 like and really like the Second Amendment issues, right? Uh, you you have to know what those rules are in every state that you go into. So it's it is it, it, that's really what it's going to end up coming down to. That um, you have to be very wary of where you are and where you're going at any time, uh, because there's some states that prohibit uh, that prohibit transport, for instance, of of fire unregistered firearms between states or registered firearms. You just you have to get a license even to move it or move it between one state and another if you're if you're going through car or or truck or or bus. I mean, so that's the analogy or a, a similar uh, comparison for what what ends up happening. Yeah, I think that's part of the confused beauty of the federalist uh, f- system. All right, you have this limited core of government. Uh, hopefully, a limited core of government. Of course, it's quite expanded its original small size. And then a lot of experiments in all the states, and you know, Florida trying something that's quite different from uh, some from that which uh, Texas or or Montana is attempting. Uh, so again, it's a it's it's a confusion. It's a ball of confusion, but I think an elegant confusion ultimately. Um, so I want to ask you one question, maybe about education, and then because I you've been so generous with your time so far. Maybe then we'll move on to a few rapid fire questions and then conclude. Is that agreeable to you? Excellent. Excellent. Let's do it. So from a libertarian's perspective, uh, what do you think is the state's role in education? I know that's a very broad question, but Florida has been uh, at the center of a lot of people's attention when it comes to education, especially after the bill that was passed this uh, last summer. So how does a libertarian approach the state's involvement in education? Okay, so there's a, quite a number of things to say about here. Um, first of all, let's start with the law. The Florida Constitution requires that the state of Florida provide an education for every child in the state. Uh, that does not mean uh, uh, necessarily one size fits all curriculum based uh, education. There are many different modes of education uh, and many ways of delivering the education. The one thing I will tell you is that nothing has been more, nothing actually, nothing has transformed education in this country and the state more than the lockdowns did because it proved that that the the model of curriculum-based education that public schools have been relying on in Florida that that was based on basically an economy uh, and a society of, of, of the 20th of the 18th century of the 19th century sorry the 19th century is no longer or, or maybe the mid 20th century is, is really uh no longer necessary with to have all this overhead uh, and be so costly right so the the idea that you had your kids sitting at home and parents saying oh look at all the subject matters you're li- listening to how much they're getting done why do i need them to actually go back to a building uh, and deal with the traffic and deal with the headaches and, and other children who are uh, uh who are ne- not necessarily well behaved and in in, in communities that are nece- not necessarily safe and in uh, to, to be educated by you know professionals that were hired not because they wanted to teach but because they couldn't find another job you know that that's important i mean that, that's just, that of course people are going to want to pull their kids out of it and they've been doing it in record numbers so either to homeschooling or some type of virtual schooling or or, or basically, or home, or yes. Do you 
do you champion that transition away from the public schools? Do you encourage that exodus that we've seen? I, I think there's there's room for the exodus. I, I don't. I think people should not be limited to any any particular choice. I think that we have been we've uh, I've been I've worked in in what they call the school choice movement since 2014 or a little bit before that. Um, I'm aware of what the, the 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 both the industry and the political movement have, has accomplished, uh, but I also think that it's gotten away from its principal mission. It, it, the movement used to be called parental choice. You know, it, it was not school choice; it was parental choice. So the the reason that there's a big difference. School choice means that you we the government still allows you so many very varying options for for of education for that are legal that we will recognize for you. While parental choice is literally whatever the parent wants for their child, not limited or burdened by the select list of of, of regulated choices that are offered by policymakers who are influenced by a, a school choice industry and that is and they, they don't want me to and they do not want me to say this by the way mm -hmm. i'm certain i'm certain of it yeah that's so a distinction the, with a very important difference though and i was not aware of the fact that originally it was parental choice and has somehow uh, evolved to become school it's choice. to tell you the truth the whole movement actually started it in the late 80s by progressive democrats in the midwest so why? Because they understand that the parents need to have the, the responsibility of, they actually understood it was progressive, right? See, the thing is that it's actually a uh, anachronist. The public school system as it is, uh, how it's modeled in, throughout the entire United States, is just anachronistic. There's nothing oh, progressive about it. Terribly, yeah. Well, I, so, progressive, progressive perhaps in that it's reflective of the old German style, right, of, of creating these very studious and efficient... Right. Prussian style, Prussian style. I'm sorry, pre pre German Prussian style. And of course, whenever we look for progressive ideas, we we generally uh, gaze toward the continent and toward Germany and toward France. So so maybe you know in a way it was originally progressive. Well, it's progressive to them because they didn't have any standardized education any either. It was progressive. See, the, the thing is, the definition of progressive changes. All the definitions of these words tend to tend to change in, in to the context of uh, and the history that they they're founded. So progressive in the 1980s in Wisconsin was, you know, we want to get where they have big factories, right? Big factory towns. And the ones that are still operating, not like the ones in Pennsylvania or New York. Uh, they they basically looked at the system and said, we can do better, you know, for, and parents should have a choice of different options. And so they decided, and, and not something dictated by politics, right? So the parents themselves can have more choices to provide for their parents, their, their, their children, certainly. Uh, and they're the ones who started this entire movement. Uh, where actually it was ended up being championed by Democrats in Florida in the, in the 90s. That's that's how this all started. Uh, but anyway, the, the history lesson uh, aside, uh, you know, it's really always been about the parents, and it, and it, it has been this, um, there. There's nothing shameful about to say use the word progressive uh, in the context of we want to change from anachronistic uh, and, and dated methods and methodologies. Uh, if one can one can argue that the term progress the term uh, conservative as opposed literally wants to conserve the past you know by by its actual wording but the uh, and so people nowadays find themselves like where do they really stand on these issues and comfortably i will tell you you know the the, the marriage of the marriage of wanting to change from the break from the past and the tradition of the past and and seek toward choice and seek toward prosperity and, and wealth creation 
is the libertarian part. They're, they're the only ones that actually have a clear idea of how any of it is, is it even works. I mean, so. And hopefully, and hopefully in due time, we'll see those ideas implemented. Uh, okay. But I will, say, I will say, though, that, you know, you, you read your Edmund Burke, uh, the father of conservatism, and, and there is certainly in his, uh, in his thinking uh, a desire to conserve that which came before, but also a willingness to, to adopt and to change and to progress in some ways. Um, so, so I think that's, that's worth noting as well, but you're right. It, it is important to understand these definitions. And um, I think your quick historical analysis of, of where school or parent choice and school choice came from is, is fascinating. And that's something that I did not know. And, and um, sure. of course I am a great supporter of school or parental choice um, in the modern age. And I think that parents are increasingly reasserting their, their their claim, uh, and I think that's that's a salutary thing. I think it's a that's an excellent thing. And yes, but the, there's uh, two important distinctions to note that the current movement in in school choice is unfortunately been co-opted by this idea from establishment politics of co-parenting, that the actual ownership and the final decision maker over the the, the choice, the actual educational options, actually is the state, and particularly politicians. So when I say that they want to limit the options that the parents can choose from, it's not because, again, it's, it's really a consolidation of power issue, but really it's defined and circled by a parent. The government has a vested interest in the life of the child and, ha and should have the final say, not the parents, in the, in, in the future of those children. And, and that is obviously uh, practically Maoist in, in its approach. So... Uh, yeah, and the yeah, and, 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 and yeah, and and more fundamentally, I think it's communistic. Uh, the idea, I the, the idea is that there's an impediment before complete inclusivity, right? At there, at a certain point, uh, if you're uh, of that mind, <laughs> of the communist mind or the Maoist mind, uh, you want your highest loyalty, your deepest loyalty, to be to the state. Uh, so any smaller barrier between the individual and the state must be abolished, it must be raised, it must be taken down. Um, so that's that's something that I see with, in regard to what you just said, the state having an interest, a, a growing interest in the, I don't know if I would call it the welfare of the state, but but the the body of, of I'm, I'm well, sorry. It, it's of the really that they really see children as the, as future, as potential capital, right? And they do want to control capital markets. They want to regulate them, and nothing is more, nothing should be more regulated by them, in their mind, than labor, right? Which is why every aspect of this is is really centered around markets and crony capitalism, and, and planned planned centralized authorities. But with that, with that said, you know, um, I only have a few more minutes because I know my my phone is batteries. Uh, I know, and you've, and you've been so generous so far. So yeah, you you can finish your thought. Maybe I'll throw one or two rapid rapid fire questions. So at give you. me the questions. Let's let's do this. You want to go right into them? Good. Yeah. All right. Now, because it is the seventeenth of September, Constitution Day, I have to ask you, which is more important to you, the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence? Declaration of Independence. I thought you might say that. Uh, of all our founding fathers, to Good. whom you most look up? Ooh. Um, let me, I got to think about that for a second. 
you know, it's a it's a mixture of they were all such so complicated people that it's it's hard to decide which one is the is the is the one. But I would say probably George Washington, the one that just gave away power, is probably the the example that that we all look forward to in terms of of limited government, right? Excellent. I was either anticipating Washington or Jefferson from you, or maybe Tom Paine. Uh, next, uh, uh, the most influential book that you've read this year. Uh, I've, I've read several, and I'm trying, and I'm wiping my face. Uh, what was this? I remember the name of these books. You know what? I uh, I honestly, I'll tell you some essays I was reading about uh, from uh, Hoppe, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe. Uh, about the uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was the idea that we have to have um, really about uh, we have to have if we're going to truly uh, out you know how to say bring back sovereignty as a question or or just or distributed uh, authority decentralization at the end of the day we're we're going to need market choices out there and we and we need uh, competition because you know we've had had competition so long and th and he's talking about this in the reference of like 1920s right. Uh, back when in the feudalistic society that we couldn't actually, we can't even go back to that because we don't have any uh, alternatives in the market to take on some of the so services that government's providing now. So we, we need to reevaluate re the, the whole mission and, and idea of, uh, of decentralization as a result of that. Excellent. And maybe you can send me uh, a, a link to his to his work, to his essay, and, and I can include that in the show notes. Uh, and sure. finally, perhaps most importantly in the state of Florida, the state of which you very well might be the governor. What is your favorite Florida college football team? I would say, you know, sorry guys for you, but uh, FSU did beat Louisiana. So this year, it's, it's, I'm, I'm rooting for FSU. This year? So this year it's FSU. But in years prior, it wasn't. Uh, I'm in Miami, so you know it, it. It breaks my heart to see the the, the destruction of the UM football team to uh, to the, the former president of the Clinton Foundation. But uh, there you have it. Perhaps they're in a state of restoration, though. I think they're in a state of rebuilding. You might not want to uh, yeah. sever your allegiance. Just ten years. Sever. <laughs> I'm they just, told they just switch coaches again. You know. I know, I know, but I'm told that this is a particularly uh, auspicious coach. I think that things will will turn around. I hope so. For for uh, for all our Miami fans, well, he's a, he's a home he's a homegrown guy, so that's precisely right. It usually means something. Hey, hopefully, and and you're um, homegrown as well from Miami. Uh, I, I've been raised in Miami. I've uh, been here for over thirty years. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So with that, Hector, I, again, I have to thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah. Where can people find you? Is it on Twitter? Are you on uh, Instagram? I'm on all the socials. I'm on all the socials at roosforflorida.com. So R-O-O-S for Florida, F-O-R for Florida dot uh, com or at the socials Roos for Florida. And I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Top Lobster. He's the one who has designed the shirt for, of uh, King DeSantis. And you can get his uh, merch, this pay, this this T-shirt at uh, Top Lobster with a B. Uh, uh, L-O-B. Uh, I'll be sure to, 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 well, not only to post that, to link that. There you go, Danny. To, to purchase myself a, purchase myself a shirt in a size small. Uh, so, so I'll include links to all of those things. So if you want to contribute to uh, Hector's uh, campaign, there will be uh, a link to do so. If you want to send him a note uh, of support on his Facebook page, please, I encourage you all to do that. Um, as you can say, as you can see, he's a, 
He's a very knowledgeable candidate, a very viable candidate, I think, in this state, and one who has a real who has real political courage, to borrow a word that you used a little bit earlier. And I think that's one of the defining features of libertarians generally. Now, of course, they don't often get the ability to de demonstrate that political courage in office. Of course, that's that's something that we want to see change, just, just to add a little bit of diversity, intellectual diversity, to what has been a rather ossified binary situation for so many years. So can you tell us when the ballots open in Florida? So election day is uh, the 8th of November. Uh, and the people can start voting early uh, two weeks before that on the weekend, uh, starting that weekend. And you know, if you're if you want to vote by mail, uh, they're they're going to be out in the next uh, two or three weeks. So you can still have time to actually request a ballot in the mail if you like. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. So if you see that name R O O S on the ballot, don't hesitate to check off that box. And if nothing else, send a vote of um, of distaste for the current status quo, if I could say that. Well, Hector, thank you again so much for being so generous with your time. I think this was a fascinating conversation. We covered a lot of topics. Of course, I probably could have could have uh, talked to you all night and covered a lot more. Um, but again, I think we all learned a lot about libertarianism generally, but, but you and your campaign specifically and what you could provide to the state of Florida. So do you have any final remarks? Just uh, make your presence known, make your opinions known. Uh, you participate. Uh, there's there's nothing held against you to doing so. And if you uh, and then if enough of people just dissent, then things change. Very well put. Well, with that, I thank you again, Hector. Uh, voting begins in early November, and I bid you all farewell from Finneran's Wake. Shout, Daniel. 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 Shout, Daniel.